0: I'm Marcy Lundy with Beauty's Aging Gracefully. Today, I'm really excited to have a guest, Dawn, that has written a book about dementia, uh, something that's, you know, an issue we need to address. As we get older, there are some things that we are not comfortable discussing, but the reality of it is, is you know, whether it's Ourselves or someone we love, we may be faced with the issue and the diagnosis of dementia. So please welcome my guest, Dr. Mitch Klonowski. Did I say it right?
1: Close, Kleonsky. <laughs> Close enough.
0: Okay. <laughs> Dr. Mitch, thank you so much for being on today.
1: You're very welcome. Real pleasure being here.
0: Oh, sure thing. So Dr. Mitch Klinowski. I said Klinowski before. <laughs> Dr. Mitch Klinowski is a board certified neuropsychologist. And I'm excited to also announce that his book, Dementia Prevention: Using Your Head to Save Your Brain, will be a topic of conversation for beauties aging gracefully for the month of August. Uh, Mitch, first of all, thank you so much for writing this book about dementia.
1: It's actually a joint venture. The other author, the lead author is my, as they say, better half, uh, <laughs> Dr. Emily Kleonsky, who is a physician. So she practiced internal medicine and then now psychiatry, and she's board certified in psychiatry and neurology. So I always tell people, if you want to do a stress test on your marriage, write a book with your spouse. (laughs) It's an interesting way of figuring out how to work together. It's like dancing, except that you've never taken any lessons. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) Oh, well... Uh, everything came out well i'm guessing everything went
1: well actually it improved not only you know as we're going to talk about doing new things stretching your brain finding Mm -hmm. ways of connecting different parts of your brain Mm -hmm. is really important for people as a method for avoiding dementia well Mm -hmm. in this case the other piece of it is that relationships closeness with other people is also an important anti-dementia tool. And in this day of people feeling more distant and disconnected from each other, as the Surgeon General has said, there's an isolation epidemic, that there's too Uh, much of people not doing things with each other. So this gave us a chance not only to stretch our brains, but to feel closer with one another through the process of creating something that we could feel proud of. So it was a really good experience.
0: Oh, that's so good. Yes. If you could uh, enlighten all of us about how you got to the joint venture of writing the book on dementia.
1: Well, we've been practicing treating people with dementia. Myself, for geez, it's been, it's been dementia patients since the mid 1980s. Wow. Emily, who had a career. In business before she went to medical school at the age of 42 came to the party a little later and we got together in 2007 and she was finishing her second residency at Dartmouth Hitchcock and was very interested in cognitive impairment problems with thinking problems with memory and so together we have parallel practices seeing oftentimes the same people But my part as a neuropsychologist is to measure how people think. So I look at their attention paying, their short-term memory, their problem solving, and a variety of other aspects of how our brains work. She comes at it from the medical perspective. So taking people who have early onset problems, in some cases, later developing problems that are already embroiled in the midst of a progressive Neurological condition, which is what dementia is. It's a downward kind of devolving brain uh, disease and applying medical approaches. First of all, identifying contributing medical factors. There's actually a lot of them. Fixing those medical factors that before had not even been looked at, let alone addressed. Starting people on. the medications that we've had out since the mid-1990s, working on lifestyle factors, really helping people to change their behavior in the third of three sections of their life. You know, this is like a third act. How do you adapt to all those changes? And coming out with really excellent results because of that. So we started rolling it back earlier to seeing people before they became Demented before they had a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease or vascular dementia or frontotemporal dementia or alcohol induced dementia, catching them in what's Mm -hmm. called mild cognitive impairment, applying these same principles, getting even better results. In fact, in a lot of cases, people returning to having no diagnosable cognitive problem, even though they had one before. Right, and then we've said why don't we start even earlier now insurance doesn't pay for this we have in this cockamamie world very little money to pay for prevention but a lot of money to pay for cure yeah the prevention is so much cheaper and easier but we would catch people at the very beginnings when they'd be cognitively worried you know those senior moments where would i leave my coffee why would i walk into this room What's the name of that guy who played the character or you know, the cousin of so-and-so? All those things that all of us experience over the age of, I don't know, 50, 55. And now saying, we've got to go wider than this. We could only see a thousand patients a year because that's all the bandwidth we have. How do we reach a wider audience? And that's where the idea became, let's write a book. Let's actually, my idea, let's write a book. She said, no, 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 we're way too busy. I said, no, no, no. This is way too important. So I right. persuaded.
0: Okay. And that's how it happened. Okay. You know, I have two questions. One, so I really remember like in the nineties, a name was given dementia. So prior to that, would people just say, oh, that person's just senile? Did they, really have a name for it or other than just saying senile or senior moments
1: well here's the history first of all you have to understand that dementia is a disease of aging Mm -hmm. back in 1900 when the average person lived to be 50 he didn't have a whole lot of people getting to be a lot older if you made it to sixty-five, you were considered an old person back then, and it was sort of taken for granted that you would have problems thinking. Well, yeah. the extension of life, the extension through uh, prevention of you know diseases that are transmitted, uh, a lot of industrial accidents that didn't have to take place that were prevented, changes in health, changes in diet, all these things extended people's lives. And so now we had more and more people who were growing older, and we were able to start seeing that they weren't thinking as well as they should for someone of their age. That's what really dementia is about. Because everyone loses, most everyone, it's about two to five percent of the people who we call super agers. Those right. people at 85 still think like they're 55. But the average person begins to lose a step as they get older, and that becomes more pronounced the older we get. People with right. dementia have greater loss than that. They're not keeping up with the people who used to be their peers. So they were you know, mm-hmm. in the middle of the pack when they were running life's race at age 50, but at age 70, they're now at the back of the pack. And that's where we start looking at what's going on. What are the things that could contribute to this? And what's really amazing about, so getting back to your point about dementia. Right. So when, and I just wrote a Psychology Today blog that should be up in probably by middle of August about this, about how we got to call this Alzheimer's disease specifically, but what other dementias there are, because there's a whole bunch of dementias. Alzheimer's is just one form of dementia. So this started back in Europe in the 1900s when they developed some staining techniques for autopsies, where they'd slice open the brains of people who had died, they'd put them under microscopes and they would use specific kinds of stains that allowed them to see structures in the brain that previously no one had seen. And during that time, they started studying people who during their lives had greater than expected memory problems. And they discovered that their brains were different. First of all, we've known for a long time that the size, the overall volume of the brain shrinks and shrinks more in people with dementia. But we also discovered that the connectivity under the surface of the brain also changes. So they were able to see these changes in the brain. And not to spoil the surprise of the article, but it really wasn't Alzheimer who discovered this, it was somebody. Else. It got attributed to Alzheimer's later on. So, if you want to read the whole story, my Psychology Today blog is going to have that. But that's when we first started, really. We used to talk about it as hardening of the arteries. We thought that it was all due to blood circulation changes. As the saying goes, everything old is new again. Vascular problems, circulatory problems are now coming back as being known as really important in the onset and the progression of alzheimer's and all other types of dementias so all the things that influence how our blood is circulated affects how we think and is important in this prevention that's what we're really about these days because we know that one right. out of two cases of dementia are preventable
0: right
1: 50 percent people get dementia don't need to get it mm-hmm. And that's the idea is recognizing what it is, recognizing what your risk factors are, and then being proactive and caring for yourself to lower your risk.
0: That's groundbreaking just even to hear, because generally speaking, we feel like, okay, when we get older, just the odds are high that's going to happen. And to learn that it is preventable, that's really just encouraging
1: news? Well, the first real research that put this together came out of Great Britain in 2017. There was a paper that was presented or published by what's called the Lancet Commission. This is a blue ribbon panel, something like 28 different experts in the field, got together, looked at all of the research that is a very wide-ranging body of research. It's not just neurology. It's not just psychiatry, it's in cardiology, it's in sleep medicine, it's in endocrinology. There's all kinds of different things that we've discovered that all bear on our risk of dementia. At that point, they calculated that 40% of the cases of dementia were preventable. Three years later, they updated, this is the Lancet Commission, they updated their groundbreaking study And actually added a few factors, including hearing loss, which is a surprise to many people, and came up with something in the range of about 42%. What was really cool was two years after that, in 2022, in the United States, they took these same factors and applied it to the U.S. Health and Retirement Survey, followed about 1,800 older people over several years and they came out with a 60% reduction. So you got 40% at the low end, 60% at the high end, which is why we feel really comfortable saying one out of two cases are preventable.
0: Amazing.
1: And that's empowering. That means we gotta figure out what's going on for ourselves so we can do something. So we're one of the one rather than the two.
0: Exactly. My second question, my memory fails me, Uh, just in regards to- (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) uh, I think you said alcohol impairment related uh, dementia. So I remember some years ago, uh, I was amazed because I just remember learning alcohol pickled our brains, which could lead to dementia. And I think, Or maybe some people choose not to see that because they love their wine or whatever they like to indulge in. But I think that's something that needs to be known if you could go into that a little bit.
1: Sure, it's really an area of controversy. Excessive alcohol is always bad for us. It does interfere with the integrity of our brain circuits. It kills brain cells both directly and indirectly by depriving us of something called thiamine, vitamin B1, which by the way, if you drink, you should also take over-the-counter vitamin B1 because it will replace some of the thiamine that's being depleted by the alcohol. Mm -hmm. We knew that if you drank a lot, especially if you binge drank or you drank a lot every day, it was bad for you. And then there started to come out some studies from Europe originally, possibly sponsored by the wine industry, finding that a couple glasses of wine was actually good for your brain, good for your thinking. And the numbers became, oh, two glasses for men, one glass for women. We're talking about four to five ounces of wine as opposed to the restaurants where you can pour a whole bottle into one glass. That's not, <laughs> not a glass. Right. yeah. And then some other research came out that said, no, no, if you look at the MRI scans of people's brains who drink even one or two glasses of wine, their brains don't look as good as the brains of people who don't drink at all. So the debate has gone back and forth. How much is okay? How much is not okay? We're at the decision point, really, Emily and I, where we're sort of saying, okay, if you're a woman, you're probably okay drinking a glass of wine or one shot of distilled spirits or one beer per day. That's okay. my microphone there. If you go to two for a man, you're still probably okay, one to two in that range. If you're more than that, that's not very healthy. Right. If you haven't been drinking throughout your life, don't start. It's not going to help your brain. But if you have been drinking and you get it down to that level, that's probably okay as long as you don't already have some thinking problems. So okay. it's, it's a, we'll, we'll see more evidence coming out in the future. We'll probably revise our opinion on this as time goes on. But that's sort of what we advise our patients at this point.
0: Okay. Yeah, I always wondered because I learned that some years ago and I felt like I never saw it anywhere else. And I was wondering, like, do people just not want to talk about this because so many people enjoy having a drink? But thank you so much for explaining that.
1: They do. And one of the bigger problems, too, is when people retire, they start drinking more and they start drinking earlier. So I know people who say, well, I don't have to go to work so I can have a cocktail with lunch. And then, you know, (laughs) it must be five o'clock somewhere. I could have a second one. And pretty soon they're passed out on the couch by about eight o'clock at night, having had four or five drinks.
0: Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. Uh, So it's important to say that dementia is not inevitable. It's actually preventable. And i Again, that's just so encouraging. Um, so, what are the studies and exercises that uh, you and your better half learned about that will help people that are suffering with dementia?
1: Well, there are a lot of things. These are, I mean, there's, there's suffering from dementia, and there's people looking to prevent dementia. So, while right. our clinical practice is primarily focused on people who already have dementia, and there are medications that we've been using for years, as well as working on lifestyle factors. The prevention is actually a model in our book. The way the book is constructed is we start with some discussions of what is dementia? Why is it really not all Alzheimer's disease, but actually a lot of different kinds of dementia? How does it differ from normal cognitive aging? and what are the steps that people go through as they develop dementia. Then we go through chapter by chapter, taking all this literature and translating it into ways that everyday people can read and understand, but not dumbing it down. There's a real difference between them. So you'll see the technical terms, but you'll also see what the technical terms mean. So if you read or listen to the book, cause it's also an audio book, you'll come out of it with a little okay. better vocabulary because you're gonna learn about some things that you either didn't know or didn't know how to pronounce before. Sure. And because it's such a complex model, we build it chapter by chapter. So we start with the genetics, all of the things that you were born with it, you can't really change. We talk about the things that by the time you're adult, you can't undo the time you jumped into the swimming pool and landed on your head and got knocked out for a minute or two, the things that may have happened during your childhood. And then we move into midlife where a lot of the vascular factors are really important. That's where not smoking becomes critical, not smoking cigarettes. That's where exercise really begins to become an important factor where control or avoidance of diabetes management of high blood pressure dealing with your weight and whether it's the right size that your body was designed to manage because that's really the issue it's not so much how you look it's am i do i have too much of my trunk essentially (laughs) for the engine that i have (laughs) and what do i need and what happens to my body when i do that how do i get right sized for me And one of the secret sauce elements of our model that is not a part of the Lancet Commission, is not part of the other study, the health and retirement study, but which is really critical, and we're discovering even more critical every day, is the role that oxygen plays. So oxygen starts with breathing. Now, we all know we're breathing while we're awake. The problem is what happens to our breathing while we're asleep. What's called obstructive sleep apnea.
0: Yes.
1: So, recent study, and I'm talking about first week in August, this was published. This was a study based on 6,000 people, big study from five different research centers, one of them being the Framingham Heart Study, the others also being the same kind of very sophisticated study places, study centers. And they did a home sleep study on every one of the people over the age of 58 who were in their studies. This is a one night thing where you wear something over your finger or something that hooks to your nose for one night. They discovered that 50%, half of the people in their study with no symptoms whatsoever and who were not demented had sleep apnea oh. by definition it means that while they're sleeping every hour they stop breathing or their oxygen level drops by three or four percent mm-hmm. at least five times wow the cool thing about this is this is oxygen turns out to be a central pathway if we don't have enough air going down to our lungs and therefore not enough oxygen being taken out of our lungs and attached to our red blood cells, which then have to get up to our brain, we don't get enough oxygen molecules to the very ends of the capillaries, where the arteries go into the smaller capillaries, the very tips. And so parts of our brain get deprived of oxygen. They don't work right. In fact, the cells die. We don't have good connectivity in our brain. We also don't make an energy molecule called adenosine triphosphate or ATP. Turns out this molecule is what gives us the get up and go that we need. It gets us through the day. If we don't have enough oxygen, we're not making this molecule very well. Wow. The other thing that they've discovered is that there is a system in our brain called the glymphatic system. Now, everyone pretty much has heard about the lymphatic system. the glymphatic system with the g is something we've only discovered in the last couple years you know what it does while we're sleeping during the period when we're not dreaming the glymphatic system flushes out the waste products that accumulate while we think during the day Mm. so all day long your brain is working it's thinking but it's also making trash so, you know, It's like you know, you're at your desk and you have this piece of paper and you have it to throw it over there. And you got something else that you sit down, there's a napkin underneath your coffee cup. Well, during the nighttime, the cleaning crew is supposed to come in, empty the trash cans, clear off the <laughs> counters. Right. Your brain has this flushing system as well. It doesn't work right when there's not enough oxygen. So people with sleep apnea who are not treating it are tired wow. they're inattentive high yeah. level of adhd completely different kind of thing but very significant. they mm. fall asleep watching tv or sitting in a play sometimes they fall asleep while they're driving not really oh. good idea
0: yeah
1: they don't sleep well they're not thinking well and they have a significantly higher rate of developing dementia good news is identify this this is a treatable condition does not require surgery does not require medication
0: okay
1: so that we also talk at great length we also go into things like uh, those over-the-counter sleep pills that you think must be harmless because they're over-the-counter
0: right all
1: the ones with the pms at the end and you take those (laughs) But it yes. makes you a little sleepy. It also deprives your brain of acetylcholine, which is an important chemical for thinking. So there's a lot of stuff that if we know about it, we can identify it, oftentimes modify it, and, right. prevent and lower our risk. That's really what it's about. None of these things is a guarantee. The only thing we guarantee is that you will be healthier by doing these things we can't guarantee that it will prevent dementia. We're just lowering the risk by half. So that's what the message is. That's where the movement is. How do we prevent dementia? Imagine what would it be like in society if half of the people who were gonna get dementia never got it? How many people could go back to work without taking care of mom or dad? How many nursing home beds could be used for other things? Yes. How much would we save on these new medications that slow down the rate of decline? Maybe a little bit, and cost twenty six thousand dollars a year. Mm. So prevention is really, I think, where it's about, and it's not just a book; it's really a movement, as far as I feel.
0: Yes, and it first of all, it's fascinating, and it just sounds like if we're paying attention to our overall health, that alone aids and prevention, and I'm just thinking about the study you were talking about with the uh, individuals learning about sleep apnea, Uh, many of us, you know, if you aren't in bed next to a spouse that's snoring, you have no idea that that's even happening to you. Uh, Should, uh, gosh, Should you go to your doctor and try and find out and try and do this test to first see if you have sleep apnea?
1: I think so. If I ruled the world (laughs) at the age of 50, when you're now getting colonoscopies and you're getting routine mammograms, you would also get an overnight sleep study because it costs a couple hundred bucks. It's painless, you do it in one night at home. Considering, I mean, it's considering what we go through to go and get a colonoscopy, Right, just the drinking of the stuff is
0: not of a problem,
1: <laughs> and because it's related to so here's all the stuff that it's related not just to our thinking, mm. risk of heart attack, risk of stroke, gout turns out to be related to sleep apnea, mm. erectile dysfunction is related to sleep apnea. Half of the men going for the little blue pills at the urologist's office have sleep apnea it's all about circulation so that always gets people to open their eyes because so you mean that not i got a friend who might be using viagra (laughs) yes that person should have an overnight sleep study because if they get more oxygen through their out their system there may not be as much of a need for something that they're already using
0: sure absolutely oh my gosh that's incredible uh I understand that you have a dementia prevention checklist. Uh, So if you could explain how an individual would find their strengths and their vulnerabilities through the checklist.
1: Yeah, so this is basically taking all these different findings and putting them in a format where people can do an inventory for themselves. Yes. So there's a QR code link in the book. But you don't have to go, you don't even have to buy the book. You don't have to borrow the book from the library. You can simply go into our website called Braindoc, B-R-A-I-N-D-O-C, braindoc.com. Click on the little label up there. You can download this PDF of the questionnaire and fill it out. It's got a lot of information right on there. You can also take it online and download the results. We're still working to get some of the bugs out of that. That should be in better shape uh, by the time September rolls around because right now you can do it, it works. It just, I don't think gives us the information in the same format where it gives you a summary. We're working on putting it into a better summary statement. This is sort of a guide then. And you can say, okay, these are things I need to find out because I don't know the answer. I mean, do you know right. what your hemoglobin A1C is, for example? It's a blood test that tells you your sugar level over the last 90 days. Do you know what your homocysteine or methylmalonic acid levels are? Probably not because your doctor probably never drew them, but could right. and maybe should. So there's a lot of things in there where you can take a status report and say, here are the things that I should work on. Here are the things that, if I fix, may lower my risk significantly. So yeah. that's why we've got this. We're giving this away. We hope the people buy the book uh, because you know it's. Uh, we think it's valuable and well worth the investment. But on the other hand, if they just want to go up there, we also have uh, a lot of other information about dementia prevention that we're just giving away.
0: Sure. What sort of studies did you do uh, to come to the conclusion of what you uh, added to the checklist?
1: Well, we looked at what the Lancet Commission had, and we said, great, that's all perfect. And then we added some things that had come out. For example, they were just at the beginning of the work on hearing impairment. That's become more solidified. There is the, the whole field of sleep apnea is just now getting hooked up with dementia, and it wasn't back then. So we've yeah. added that component. Uh, the uh, A lot of the work on uh, the risks from, from uh, anticholinergic medications is not spelled out there as much as we did. Uh, some of the information on social connectivity. Mm. So we have a lot of people who are growing apart and are Withdrawn. Part of this is based on the fact that their hearing might not be good. Part of it is because it's got chronic depression. And we know that chronic depression increases your risk for dementia. So it's a double barreled kind of problem where you're dealing with not feeling well and being depressed, but also at the same time having a greater risk for losing brain power as you get older. Uh, We looked at you know, the effects of benzodiazepines. Those are the tranquilizers, the anti-anxiety medications that right. will, you know, the mother's little helpers of, of days gone by where you take okay. this and you feel better temporarily. Yes. But in the long run, it can actually suppress your thinking abilities. Oh. So it's a whole lot of stuff, not very much on diet, which is a disappointment to people. Frankly, the most recent study just came out found that the MIND diet, which is the Mediterranean diet and this other diet that has to do with dementia actually didn't change the risk of dementia. Oh, wow. But we in America want to eat our way into everything. So it's like, oh, (laughs) I could cut that out and eat this instead or make a recipe with this. I will be doing something to reduce my risk of dementia. I'll feel good about myself. I'm healthier eating, cleaner eating. I have no problem with people eating better. I mean, I really right. I think that if you've got a poor diet because you live in basically a fresh food wasteland where you're in a very poor impoverished area and you don't have access to good food, that is a problem. And compared with that, if you could eat a mind diet, the Mediterranean diet, you would reduce your risk. But for the average person in America who does have access to these things and who can eat a fairly balanced diet, eating your way into dementia is not a thing. Exercise, mm-hmm. however, to you walk your way into dementia prevention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So That's really great life. news. Yes. And it's as simple as walking.
1: Simple as walking. Our recipe, I'll give you our recipe for walking. Okay. A 10-minute walk three times a day
0: Hmm.
1: walk briskly. So you're moving quick enough. So you feel your heart rate going up, not so quickly that you can't carry on a conversation while you're walking. That's brisk walking, right? 10 minutes, three times a day works. The reason is it's only 10 minutes. It's hard to talk yourself out of it. Right. It doesn't require a membership or special equipment. Right. You're not likely to hurt yourself. You're probably not going to get lost. <laughs> the weather is less of a factor. I mean, don't go out when it's icy. If you live in an area where you get ice, don't go out then. You'll slip and fall. But it's yes. rarely too hot to go out for 10 minutes. It's rarely too cold to go out for 10 minutes. It's rarely too wet to go out for 10 minutes. If not, work, walk around your house, walk in your basement, walk in someplace else, go to the grocery store, go to the big box store and walk around for that. But that 10 minutes is additive. So you get 30 minutes a day. Over the course of seven days is actually 10 miles of exercise. How do I know? I actually did it myself. Counted up the steps, looked at the time. It's 10 miles. That'll give Mm -hmm. you a good level of exercise that you will actually do. In fact, the last words of leaving most of my patients is I want you to take that first walk right now on your way home.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Don't wait. That's Start today. Right. Yes. Because most people were like, Oh, I don't have time. You have 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> you no, know I, like I like to double dip. If I have my, I want my phone and I get headphones and I can either mm-hmm. listen to something, a podcast, our book, um, sports radio, or right. I can call somebody. So I can also remain connected, deal with some of the social things. I can, mm. my brother and I have this thing where he's in Pennsylvania. I'm in Massachusetts. We take a walk once a week where we're each walking separately, but talking with each other. It's almost as good as being there.
0: Sure. That's great. Oh yeah, that that alone is just encouraging. You know, we can all start there. So I understand that there are three chapters on how to use proven psychological methods to change the brain's habits and health to alter your brain's future. If you could tell the audience a bit about that.
1: Sure. Well, one of them we just discussed, which is have a clear target, a clear thing that you wanna change, a clear goal. And when people say, oh, this year I'm going to be healthier, great. But what are you going to do? Right, That's the question. How do you translate that into a measurable goal? I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk 30 minutes a day. I'm not going to break it down into smaller segments because I know that that's a big ask. If I've been spending my days sitting down a lot, not really doing anything physically, I need to start somewhere where I can do it because otherwise I'm going to put it off. So we, one of the techniques is that you take a bite. You don't try to eat the whole burger, the whole pie in one gulp. You bite, you Mm. nibble at it, 10 minute walk. I can do that. I want to change my diet. Okay. Mm. What do you mean? Well, I got to be more specific. I'm going to, limit my eating after seven o'clock because I know me, I know that the easiest thing is I'll sit there with an ice cream or some chips or (laughs) some watch TV and I'll automatically eat it. I won't even pay attention to it. And that's going to be five pounds over a month or two, just by changing Mm. that just because I won't eat after that time. And therefore I won't attempt it. So you find goals that you can achieve. Number one, number two, You break it down into small pieces. When you want to increase it, you increase it by really small increments so that you hardly notice that you're working harder or you're doing more. We talk about this thing called the just noticeable difference. What that means is if you have to lift 10 extra pounds and you're doing it with a dumbbell that's 25 pounds, Well, 10 pounds is a lot. You're not going to be able to do that very well. But if you're adding 10 pounds to one that's 150 that you're already lifting, 10 pounds is nothing. You can do that. So now you're up to 160. You get used to doing that. And you gradually build up and you're able to make really good progress that you'll hardly notice you're working harder. So that's one of those proven psychological techniques that
0: mm.
1: helps people to get to their goals over time without overdoing it and without facing failure. Yeah. The other important thing, and there's a whole, as you said, three chapters on this, but the other important thing is everybody fails. That's to be expected. It doesn't mean that your program is bad. It means right. that you've run into a roadblock. So Mm -hmm. I tell people, you got to pretend that you've got cable TV. Eventually, cable TV will go out on you. There'll be one day where you'll turn it on and say, (laughs) we're experiencing some problems. Well, what you do when you experience some some problems with your cable is you call them up and you get recording. The recording always says the same thing, which is unplug, wait 30 seconds, plug it back in and reboot. That is right. probably one of the most important lessons about changing behavior. is It isn't a sign from heaven that you're wrong when you <laughs> fail one day not to achieve your goal. When you right. eat that ice cream that you promised yourself you wouldn't. When you don't go out that day because you were lazy and you said, I'm just going to stay <laughs> home. Where you were going to make that change. All that yep. means is tomorrow's a new day, unplug. Reboot.
0: Reboot. That's good. Thank you so much for describing that. Uh, I love that this is the way to take what you do in your consulting room and make it available to readers across the country and the world. Because a lot of people, you know, they feel like, where do I start? Or if they're observing a loved one, uh, you know, possibly at the onset of dementia, they're concerned. And it's just very helpful to have a publication where people can go and not only read about if someone's in that state, just learning for ourselves also how to prevent it. So thank you so much for that.
1: Very welcome. I hope it works for a lot of people.
0: Yes. Also you present an easy to take dementia prevention checklist. So you can see the strengths and uh, of vulnerabilities. We discussed that. So I wanted to ask you if people are concerned about not only their health, but the health of others in their family or friends. They've observed possible concerns. They don't want to appear to be butting in, but they want to help. How would you say someone should go forward with that?
1: Great question. And it really depends on the relationship. You have the kind of relationship where you could say to, let's say it's your mom or dad. We can say to them, you know, I'm worried because of these things. These may be completely normal, but I'd really like us to go next time. Let me come along with you when you go to your doctor. I know that feels like it's intrusive, but I want to tell them what I've seen. I want to see if your doctor can check you out. Wouldn't it be terrible if you had some sort of vitamin deficiency that was causing this problem and you didn't pay attention to it, you didn't know about it, we could fix it almost overnight. Wouldn't be terrible if we missed something that was really not a big deal because I really care about you and I want this to be something we can do together. The other thing is Emily and I have also developed a five minute dementia screening test that we're about to re-release. It's been out for a number of years. It's now being reworked. And we're going to be releasing it specifically for family members to be able to give something to their parents. The test is called the Memory Orientation Screening Test, otherwise known as the MOST. So we always talk about, you know, you do the MOST test, you get your MOST score, Well, we're doing one that is going to be called the most for your parents. So if you really want to do the most for your parents, you'll be able to online get this test and in about five to seven minutes, get something that you can input into the computer that will give you a report on their scores. And that you can take to the doctor. You can say to them, look, I'm a little concerned here. You didn't do quite as well as I was hoping. And I know that's threatening. I know it's challenging. I also know that the earlier we identify something, the more successful we are at fixing it. So, you know, while an ostrich can bury its head in the sand, if it does it in the middle of the road, it's probably going to get run over. You really, that (laughs) that ostrich approach is not a great one. Right. We're dealing with this kind of a problem. As scary as it is, this is not the time to put your head down and pretend it's not there.
0: Oh, goodness, no, no. And I love the book is fun to read, motivating, and most importantly, life-changing. Well, we,
1: there's a lot of stories in there from people that we have seen. A lot of them are conglomerates of several people, but some of them are really just that person's story with their name and some of the identifying data being changed. Because In real life, you discover why it is that people are resistant to things. You discover how hard it is. You also discover some of the outcomes that can be so wonderful when people actually take charge, are kind to themselves. I know they're all about kindness. Well, this is really being kind to yourself, is taking the early look at what's going on and applying that in a way that has proven outcomes. So... This is, this is empowering. That's the whole idea.
0: Very empowering. All right, Mitch. Okay, I'm not giving up on saying your name correctly. Mitch Kleonski?
1: Whoa. <laughs> Good job.
0: Oh, thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, it's a
1: spelling that's hard. It starts with a C. Yeah. And then there's a lion. And then a sky, sea lion sky gets you to Kleonsky.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yes, I practiced two times or more yesterday and only to mess it up two times today. So
1: <laughs> okay.
0: now for those that are interested in uh, picking up your book, where can they find the book?
1: Well, you can get it through the publisher, Johns Hopkins Press, but you can also get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, many many independent bookstores Um, it's online you can get it on kindle you can get it through your ipad it's also on audiobook so it is read by a really great actress by the name of nan mcnamara she is so good that when i heard her read the book i laughed at my own jokes it was like wow (laughs)
0: that's pretty good yes very
1: good so i love when people listen to it because then they can do other things they can take a walk while they're listening to dementia prevention
0: exactly yes they can get their 10-minute walk in while listening to the book also i believe you said you're out of boston
1: western massachusetts out of the springfield massachusetts area
0: okay so if individuals are in that area if they wanted uh to perhaps have a consultation or meet with you uh,
1: if sure. they're in the area they can find, okay. Yeah. And we are all if you Google our name, it's uh. there's a bunch of different things. We've, we've really you know, worked very hard at trying to get the word out uh, because it's an important message. You know, our our goal is to cast as wide a net as possible, have as many people pay attention to this just because it really works. And it's only something that helps your health. And I want this to be bigger than just one book. I want people to say, oh, wow, I can latch on to this and employ this in what I'm doing with my practice. So other professionals or self-help groups or book discussion groups, I'd love for it to be a part of book clubs where people can Mm -hmm. discuss this because everybody experiences this. Everyone knows someone with dementia. 80% of the people surveyed over the age of 50 are either somewhat worried or very worried about developing dementia. That's everybody, I mean, you know, better than any political candidate's approval rating. Everyone's worried, (laughs) (laughs) stop being worried, start doing something.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you to you and your better half, as you said, for writing this book. It's much needed. And we'll start here with Beauty's Aging Gracefully, reading it as a community. Uh, Thank you so much for writing this book, and thank you so very much for being on.
1: My pleasure. Absolutely. It's been so nice to talk to you, Marcy.
0: Yes, you as well. All right, all. Please remember our book and our discussion for August will be Dementia Prevention, Using Your Head to Save Your Brain. Mitch, once again, thank you so much. Bye-bye.